When you settle in to watch the presidential debate tonight, the very first one-on-one confrontation between President Trump and Joe Biden, maybe you're going to be listening for how the candidates talk about Trump's newly released tax returns, or maybe you'll want to hear what they have to say about the Supreme Court. But Rick Hassan, an election law expert at UC Irvine, he's going to be listening for something else. I'm especially interested in this debate because among the topics that Chris Wallace announced he was going to ask about is the integrity of the election. The topic that's at the forefront of my mind is that we have a safe and fair election, one that the losers will accept as legitimate. And so I'll be listening to see what the candidates say about accepting election results and about peaceful transitions to power, especially after President Trump's recent comments. He's talked about this with Wallace before. And Wallace keeps pressing him on it and being like, are you going to accept the transfer of power? You give a direct answer, you will accept the election? I have to see. Look, you. I have to see. No, I'm not going to just say yes. I'm not going to say no. And I didn't last time either. It's hard to tell if Trump's wait-and-see answer is more of a troll or an actual warning. But Rick knows where every weak spot is in the American election system. And there are a lot of them. He says you got to take what the president is saying on its face and plan accordingly. You've described yourself as an engineer, like an engineer at a nuclear reactor, like worried about the smallest little risk in an election. Do you allow yourself to feel any optimism about what's about to happen? Yes. I'm optimistic. Really? Yes. This is how I feel. We have a broken election system. But the odds are very high that we will squeeze through. That's not exactly a pep rally. Well, so, you know, the odds are in our favor, but it's a non-negligible risk, which is why I'm terrified of uh, the downsides and why, you know, you want the person in the nuclear power plant to be really risk averse and cautious. And so that's the role I'm trying to play. Today on the show... There are plenty of loopholes in the U.S. election system. Rick, he's worried the president is about to exploit each and every one of them. He'll explain how it could work. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Trying to predict what might happen on Election Day, it can feel pretty dicey right now. 
The whims of the president are hard to predict, but we've got clues. For example, Trump's been undermining the validity of mail-in ballots regularly. Universal mail-in voting is going to be catastrophic. It's going to make our country a laughingstock all over the world. Trump has also been undermining the validity of voting in general. He's done that since the moment he got into office. Remember the voter fraud commission he set up? It never found evidence of widespread fraud. But Trump is still talking like this is a thing. And now he started suggesting he wants to find a way to protect the vote with election monitors. This is Trump on Sean Hannity last month. Are you going to have poll watchers? Are you going to have an ability to monitor uh, to avoid fraud and and cross-check whether or not these are registered voters, whether or not there's been identification to know that it's a real vote from a real American? We're going to have everything. We're going to have sheriffs and we're going to have law enforcement and we're going to have hopefully U.S. attorneys and we're going to have everybody and attorney generals. And this is the kind of intervention that worries Rick Hassan. He says, until this election, sending monitors out like this wasn't even possible. From 1982, I believe it was, until 2017, the Republican National Committee was under a court order called the Consent Decree uh, that they wouldn't engage in certain poll-watching activities. Uh, And the reason they were under this Consent Decree is they were sued because They were intimidating minority voters, like sending off-duty armed police officers to polls in minority areas, and uh, that intimidated those voters. And rather than fight the lawsuit, they agreed to this consent decree that they wouldn't do it again. And in 2017, the courts finally said this consent decree is over. It it existed for a really long time. And in the end, the Democrats fought and they said, look, Trump was trying to intimidate voters in 2016, extend the consent decree. And the Third Circuit, the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit said, yeah, it looked like Trump was engaged in these activities, but it wasn't the RNC. And so the RNC is no longer bound by this. You didn't prove that the RNC uh, was the problem. So now Trump controls the RNC and he's been calling for poll watching. Now, we don't know how much of of this is going to actually happen because Trump called for poll watching in 2016. And mostly what that turned out to be was an effort to raise money. And so I'm more worried about the rogue Trump supporter who goes with a gun to a polling place than I am about an organized effort. But we'll see. The Trump campaign is playing it very close to the best in terms of what their plans are on Election Day. Part of the reason it's so hard to tell what might happen in November is because the American system is so disaggregated. Think about what happens when you vote. The process is controlled by a local administrator, possibly someone elected, possibly someone who is explicitly partisan. And once your vote is counted, if it's counted, that's not the end of the story. Electors get assigned to transmit your vote to the Electoral College. Those results are counted by Congress. And each step in this process is a place where the whole thing can break down. Right now, we're in the pregame part of the proceedings, when lawyers try to set the ground rules for the election itself. Rick is tracking over 250 lawsuits that have been filed over pandemic-related voting concerns alone, more than he's seen in any year before. What we're seeing the pattern is are that Democrats and voting rights groups are suing to try to ease the rules during the pandemic, and Republicans and the Trump campaign and their allies have been uh, suing or defending suits, trying to make it harder to expand uh, the right to vote. One of the biggest fights now, there was a big fight in Texas over who could vote by mail, but there are all kinds of other disputes related to mail-in balloting, not about who should vote, but 
uh, how to vote. So what happens if you can't get a notary to sign your ballot, as some states require? Should that be thrown out? Um, what if you forget to use the second secret envelope that's supposed to go inside? Uh, this was the big issue in Pennsylvania, where I think tens of thousands of people during the primary had their ballots thrown out because they sent in so-called naked ballots, not in their secrecy envelopes. There's a, just a ton of this sort of stuff that these nitty-gritty details that are going to potentially disenfranchise voters. There's just a ton of uncertainty. And we're, we're, you know, we're five weeks from the election. So we're really talking about a period when these rules should uh, be solidified. Uh, there's even a, a name for this idea. It's called the Purcell Principle. It comes from a Supreme Court case called Purcell versus Gonzalez, which says the court shouldn't be making last-minute changes uh, just before an election. And so far, that uh, that rule has worked against Democrats in a number of cases. We'll see how things go over the next uh, few weeks. How has it worked against Democrats? Well, uh, Democrats have been getting, uh, uh, or in, in during the primary season, we're getting some favorable court opinions in the lower courts, you know, getting some of these balloting rules eased so that people can vote safely during the pandemic. And then appeals courts have said, no, too late, too close to the election, can't make the change. Sorry. Whoa. So just, yeah, try another day. Sorry. We're all, we're all closed up here. Yeah. I want to talk about Pennsylvania a little bit because it's a swing state and so many people really see it at the center of what's about to happen. And I know you've talked about this before, the fact that this is the first time they're going to have a national big election where there's going to be so much absentee balloting. And my understanding is they're not going to be counting until election day itself. Is that right? So here's the thing. The rules for when you can process absentee ballots differ from state to state. And by process, I mean everything but the counting. That is, um, you need to make sure when the ballot comes in that it's legitimately from the voter. You check a signature or you check some other identifying information. Did the voter do everything they had to do? And so you, that takes time. It takes much longer to figure that out than just counting ballots that come in uh, in the polling place. And um, at the time that we're recording this, there was no deal between the Democratic governor and the Republican uh, legislature over make, extending that time so that that counting, that processing, I should say, can happen earlier as is done in many other states. That means that there could be potentially millions of ballots that they won't start processing till election day. And that means it could be at least a few days before we have definitive results coming out of Pennsylvania. And that's important because <laughs> we've seen the president and his allies begin this kind of drumbeat of assertions that not just mail-in ballots might be fraudulent, which you can kind of see in this string of lawsuits that you talked about, but also this this pressure to declare a winner on election day itself, which if you're looking at a state like Pennsylvania where you're saying, as of now, we're not going to be processing these ballots until you know the day itself, that means you you really might not have a result on election day. You might not know. And to sort of say, well, we need to shut it down just because that's what we've always done creates a real problem. Yeah. So I think the important thing to know is that a, a, a candidate's determination to concede or to declare victory has no specific legal uh, implications. Uh, the counting is going to continue. So, so Trump could declare victory on election night based on partial returns. And it doesn't have any legal effect, you know. We had seven races in California in 2018, 
where the Republican was ahead on the election night votes, but because Democrats tend to vote later, as those ballots were counted over the next two and a half weeks, all seven of those races flipped to Democratic wins. And now we have, you know, those seven Democrats in the, in the Congress. So it's really quite possible in a place like Pennsylvania that Trump could be ahead, especially because he's been discouraging his voters from voting by mail. He could be ahead in the in-person voting uh, and lose the election. That doesn't have any legal significance if he declares victory, but could have a lot of political significance. It put a lot of pressure uh, and a lot of his supporters could believe, uh, you know, if the vote count changes that somebody's cheating because Trump's been saying that for months. Words matter in this context, especially because the democracy depends on losers accepting the results of fair elections. So, so, you know, we care about what people say when they're talking about these elections. Hmm. How do you categorize the concern that Trump might not accept the election's results if they show he's losing? Like, do you categorize that as something we know will happen because we've seen how Trump operates and he's so unlikely to accept defeat? Or do you see that as something we have a good reason to think might happen? Like, where do you, where do you put that in your mind? There's a big difference between him saying, I won the election and him saying, if the election were fair and it wasn't rigged, I would have won. You know, the question is, does he pack up and leave if he loses or not? So it's a matter of degree. Well, it's not just degree. It's, you know, if you declare yourself the winner and say you're staying put and you actually have not won, that's creating a real constitutional crisis. If you grumble on your way out the door, that might undermine the legitimacy of the election in the eyes of his most ardent supporters. But if the election's not close, I think a lot of Republicans are going to move on. Uh, so a big part of this depends on the closeness of the election. Do you think we'll see a concession speech on election night? I don't think we'd see a concession speech in the uh, traditional sense of what a normal candidate does. What do you mean by that? So, you know, I was watching Mrs. America. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this FX Hulu uh, show. Yeah, it's about Phyllis Schlafly. Yeah, uh, really well done. But at the very end, they show some real clips and they show Jimmy Carter conceding to Ronald Reagan. Uh, in 1980. And he says something like, uh, I'm disappointed, but of course I accept the results. Uh, uh, the American people have spoken. About an hour ago, I called Governor Reagan in California and I told him that I congratulated him for a fine victory. I look forward to working closely with him during the next few weeks. We'll have a very fine transition period. I told him I wanted the best one in history. I can't imagine Trump making a statement like that. I could imagine him saying, uh, you know, if, if it wasn't rigged, I would have won. I, I think I really won, but, you know, I'm, I'm going. I can't imagine him congratulating Joe Biden. But, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't know what's going on in Trump's head. Maybe he'll surprise us. But I think it's much more dangerous if he says, I won the election, I'm not leaving. That's the part that would be really uh, frightening if he actually loses the election. Part of what Rick wants to do in this run-up to Election Day is adjust your expectations. Because public sentiment can create pressure all its own. Pressure that might resolve this contest prematurely. Those of us in this field have been pushing decision desks and 
those at the uh, at the major news organizations to be very cautious, especially given the uncertainty of what the the vote's going to look like in terms of how much is going to be by mail and all of that. The message should be it's too early to call unless there's a reason uh, to think that it's not. And it is a problem when you see reporting, like it says, 100% of precincts reporting when that's only reflecting in-person voting and there are still thousands or tens of thousands or more ballots outstanding. So everyone needs to have patience. It starts with the media. Uh, everyone wants the scoop. Everyone wants to be the first um, you know, uh, news organizations to call the election. I think being patient is key. And I think that message has actually gotten out. Uh, there was a recent poll that showed that I think over 60% of voters believe we won't know by the day after the election who's won the election. You talked about, <laughs> there's there's this one caveat in all of the reporting about all the things that could go wrong with the election. And the caveat is basically, if there's a landslide, a lot of these things don't matter. If there's a landslide election, does that reassure you at all? Yes. That's why when we started off earlier and I said I was optimistic, it's just because of the law of numbers. Uh, because if it's not if it's not close, then we won't have a crisis this time. But we've got to fix this so we don't do this. You know, And you know, my phone is ringing off the hook right now. Nobody's calling me for the next three years. Nobody cares about this stuff till it really <laughs> matters. And I, I, I give the same speech every four years. Um, we have a broken election system. And if we squeak through, that doesn't mean it's not broken. It just means we got lucky. If we think long term, I think we've got to get out of this. We need to have either standards that would apply nationally or a, a nonpartisan quasi-independent body like the Federal Reserve that runs our elections, where the people in charge are competent and their only goal is to assure that all eligible voters, but only eligible voters, can safely cast a ballot that will be fairly and quickly counted. This shouldn't be too much to ask. Rick Hassan, thank you so much for joining me. It's always a pleasure. Rick Hassan is an election law expert at UC Irvine. He's also the author of Election Meltdown, Dirty Tricks, Distrust, and the Threat to American Democracy. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Daniel Hewitt, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. Allison Benedict and Alicia Montgomery oversee our whole crew. And I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow.